Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Ephesians chapter 6. There is a desperate, a desperate need in our day for a plan, an effective plan, to raise well-mannered, well-behaved children. If you don't believe me, ask any grammar school teacher that teaches in the schools today. Dr. William Bennett, you remember who he was former U.S. Secretary of Education, just completed a report a few months ago entitled The Index of Leading Cultural Indicators. And he made a comparison between our society today and what it was like in 1963, 30 years ago. He found that over the 30-year span, violent crime has increased over 500%. Illegitimate births have increased 400%. Divorces have increased 400%. Children living in single-parent homes have increased 300%. Child abuse has increased 340% since 1976. And that's interesting because some of the abortion activists said, well, we will cut down on child abuse because these babies won't be born into families that don't want them. Well, that has not been the case, and it has increased. Teenage suicide has increased 200%. The SAT scores all along the way have gone down until they have dropped 80 points, despite the huge amount of money that's being poured into public education. Because the problem, folks, is not a lack of funds. The problem is undisciplined children in the classroom. Wednesday's paper told us about some grammar school students and middle school students at Columbus, Georgia, Georgetown Elementary School. Seven sixth graders, sixth graders now, had plotted to do great bodily harm to their teacher if not kill her. You may have seen this on the news reports. They had put chemicals in her drink hoping to poison her. They had brought weapons to school. Now these are sixth graders in Columbus, Georgia. They had tried to trip her as she was going down the steps. And you know the reason? She's too strict, they said. She's too strict. There's a desperate need in our day for an effective way to raise well-mannered, well-behaved children. There is little respect for authority among most children today. They talk back to adults. They talk back to their parents. They will not obey adults and parents. And if this trend is not reversed, we're going to see a day in our country that we have nothing but a group of rebels on our hands. And anarchy will reign. Well, what's the problem and who is to blame? Well, the problem is that we're not raising our children according to God's plan for child training. We're not following God's design. We have adopted man's design. 
or no design at all. Well, who is to blame? Well, where does God place the blame? Who does God say is responsible? Well, let's look at Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, where does God place the responsibility? On the fathers. Verse 4 is clear. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God places the primary responsibility for the discipline of the children on you, Dad. On us as fathers. The father is to be the chief disciplinarian in the home. Now, mother has a vital part of that because she, by virtue of her schedule, generally spends more time with the children. But God says the buck stops with you, Dad. You're the one that's ultimately responsible. And let me tell you something else, men. We will have to stand before our God someday and give an account for our discipline in our home. He says, tell me about your discipline of your children in the home. I'm afraid some guys are going to say, well, you know, Lord, my wife is so much better with kids than I am. Now, she just understood the children so much better than I did, so I just left that to her. And I can imagine our Lord saying to us and looking straight in the eye, who did I give the responsibility to? Did I give it to your wife or did I give it to you? God places it on our shoulders. And I'm afraid many homes in our nation, the father has abandoned his responsibility as chief disciplinarian in the home. I believe it works this way, men. I believe God has given us the responsibility of setting the standards that our family will go by. For instance, uh, your wife comes to you and says, you know, I'm concerned about the kids' room. It's just not very straight. Uh, We need to decide on a a standard that we're going to set for how they should keep their rooms. And you and her talk about it. And then you come up with a standard that the kids will have to meet. Now you see, this does a couple of things. First, it sets you as the heavy in the eyes of the kids, not mom. Mom catches it already enough just because she has the day-to-day operation, right? So... It sets you as a heavy. Secondly, it puts you in your proper role as head of the family. And so you consulting mom, talk about what's a good, uh, uh, good standard. Well, they need to have all clothes put away. They need to have the beds made up or whatever, appropriate to the age of the child. And then you have a family meeting. You say, kids, we're going to get together and have a meeting now. Come and let's talk. And you sit the kids down and you say, as the father, now, mom and I are concerned about the, your rooms and they aren't straight enough. The Bible speaks of orderliness. Everything has its place, and this is pleasing to God that things be orderly. Therefore, we're going to come up with a new standard in this house. Your room is going to be straight, and this is what we mean by straight. Before you go to school every morning, your clothes are to be picked up, your dresser is to be straight, your bed is to be made, anything on the floor is to be picked up. If you do not do this, then you decide uh, on a punishment, and you tell them what the punishment is going to be. But you set the standard. Now, mom will have to do 
much of the enforcement because she'll probably be there when uh, they get home from school and you won't be. But you have set the standard. They see it as a standard that dad has set. You're taking your proper role and the heat's off mom. You see, they come to mom in a couple of days after they've been wrestling with this thing. They say, why why do we have to do this to our room? Why don't we have to straighten our room up this way? Why can't we just leave things? It's my room. Why can't I do it like I want to do it? Well, all mom's got to say is talk to your dad. He set the standard. Take it up with him. See? Takes you off the hook, moms. You don't have to sit down and go through that emotional barrage with the kids trying to explain. You just say, talk to your dad. It's his rule. And then they come to you, dad, and you can stand firm. Man, that works on so many things, and I'm convinced that's God's way. That's God's pattern. Normally, again, mothers, you're indispensable in this because you will generally see things that need to be corrected before dad does. And so you go to dad and say, look, you know, I like the room straightened up. You know, I think the kids are just looking at too much television. Uh, let's talk about what we need to do. Rather than you, Mom, making the decision, well, one hour TV a day, that's all. And then they come to you, why can't we look at more? And you've got to handle all the barrage of emotions and you've got to deal with that. God never intended for you to have to do that. Plus, you involve your husband more in the process. Men, just by their schedule and their attention at work, will not get involved if they are not encouraged to do so. And so, mothers, your part is to encourage that husband to get involved by going to him and saying, there's a problem here, what should we do? And you trust his judgment, too. He may say, well, I really don't think there's anything to worry about. Then you say, okay, I'm trusting God's going to show you if it is, because he's going to hold you responsible if it is, and we don't do something. See, the buck stops with him. But he may well say, yeah, let's talk about it. And again, you come up with a standard. He calls the family together. He lays forth the standard. He's the heavy. If after a few weeks they say, man, why can't we look at this show? What's wrong with this show? Go talk to your dad. It's his rule. I support him in it, but you go talk to him about it. He made it. And so it's amazing, especially when those guys get to be teenagers and they kind of really want to clash with mom. Mom, you don't have to put up with any of that. Just say, go talk to your dad. It's his rule. You take it up with him. And then dad has to deal with it. And dad, that's your responsibility. So don't tell mom, well, whatever you think we ought to do, you just take care of it. No. And honey, you can just lovingly say, mother, if he says that, well, you know, God has said that it's your responsibility and I just want to do what God wants to do and I just want to do what you think is best. I really need your help in this. And most men with enough encouragement will finally begin to take a stand and begin to take their position as chief disciplinarian in the home. And that's got to be done because it's God's way, it's God's order. And if we're going to see the family restored, we've got to get back to God's plan for the family. And part of that plan is for the father to be the chief disciplinarian in the home. So, Father, it stands with you. Two things need to be done if we're going to salvage our children of this generation. First, fathers must assume their responsibility as chief disciplinarian in the home. And secondly... Fathers must use and lead their wives to use God's plan for child rearing. God's plan for child training. And that plan is based on His Word. It's based on the book. And we've got to get back to that. The Bible says, Blessed is the one who trains his children according to the Word. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen says, Correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. It also says a curse comes on those who do not 
Psalms, excuse me, Proverbs 29, 15 says, A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So God says the choice is ours. Either blessings or curse. Now let's move to the stages in child training because I think it's helpful to understand the three basic stages in raising our children. And I'll explain why it's important in a moment. It's good need for you to grasp these stages. It will help you understand what God expects of you in each stage. The first stage I call the controlling stage. You have your notes there and a place for you to add to those notes and I have these listed. Now this basically goes from birth through five years of age. And again, these years may give or take a few years depending on your child. But basically from birth to five years of age is the controlling stage. You as a parent are seen as primarily a disciplinarian at this stage. Your main task is discipline during these early formative years in your child's life. That means your primary objective during these years is to bring your child to obey you quickly with the right attitude. To obey you quickly with the right attitude. Again, God has reduced it to a simple plan. Those first five or so years of that child's life, the main thing you need to do is teach them when you speak, they are to obey, to obey quickly, and to obey with the right attitude. That's all. You don't have to worry about all this deep psychological stuff. You just spend time with them, you love them, and you make them obey you. That's God's plan. And they will turn up and turn out to be healthy, well-adjusted kids. If you'll start this process by simply teaching them to obey your voice, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. The second stage is the teaching stage. This roughly goes from 6 years to 19 years of age. The teaching stage. Now I've divided this up into two different phases within this teaching stage. In the first phase, that is from 6 years to 12 years of age, the parent is seen as a trainer. You are to teach them godly principles during these years. You're seeking to develop godly qualities and character traits in them. If you take the athletic terminology, you're like a trainer. A trainer goes out on the field and he helps the kids go through the various drills to equip them to play the game. He's working with them, teaching them the skills they need to do the various things, such as football. He's running through the plays with the guys if he's offensive. Uh, and he's teaching them how to run the plays, where to go, how to uh, block and everything else, and, and where to block and when to go. And if he's in the process of running a play and he sees something wrong, he can blow the whistle and stop the, the play right in the middle and say, ah, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. Now do it this way. But there's a real close hands-on uh, training and you're able to stop in the process and make corrections and teach them how to do the and play the game of life. Then you move to the second phase during this teaching phase and that's where the parent is seen as a coach. This is basically from 13 years of age through 19. They are in the game of life at this point. It's no longer practice. They're there. You can send plays in from the sidelines. You can even, even huddle with them during timeouts but you can no longer stop the play in the middle of the play and, and make a correction. They, in fact, are even beginning to call some plays themselves during these years. And so you've got to be a good coach. You've got to know how to see what's going on and send in instructions. 
and have break time at half and talk about what's going on in the, in the game and what corrections can be made in the second half. And so you take more as a mentality of a coach during this time. And, and how well they do will determine by how well you coach them and how well they respond to your coaching. And how well they respond to your coaching is going to depend on how well you discipline them those first five years. You see, if you never teach your child to obey you, then they won't respect you. If they don't respect you, then they will not honor you. And if they don't honor you, they will not listen to your coaching. They'll say, he doesn't know anything. I'm not going to listen to him. Man, I know the game better than he does. I'm going to run it myself. And it's like a coach sending in plays and the quarterback ignores it and does what he wants to do anyway. Thinks he knows more than the coach knows. You say, man, that's ridiculous. I know some kids think they know more than their parents know. You may know some yourself. And so how well they respond to your coaching is going to depend on these earlier stages and how well you did in that as well. And then the third stage is the friendship stage. That's 20 years and up. Here you as a parent become a friend of that child. As a male, they are no longer under your authority, but your friendship is there and your counsel is there. The Bible indicates in passages such as Numbers 30 that a daughter stays under her father's authority until she marries. And so, again, though, there's that friendship level and you relate to them more as a friend, as a counselor, as a confidant. Now you see, problems ensue when parents fail to recognize these stages and fail to parent according to the stage. There is a philosophy of child rearing that is popular that basically says what your child needs from you from the earliest days is needs you to be a friend. You can tell this because in these situations, the parent encourages the child to call them by their first name rather than call them mama or daddy, call them by their first name. You see, you eliminate any hierarchy and any structure, and it's just everybody's on an equal plane. And so a child just calls a parent by the first name. And they say, well, your your child needs you to be a friend. Well, those first five years, your child does not need you to be a friend. They need you to be a parent. They don't need your friendship as such until they are grown. Then it's time to become that friend to them. And if the stages are done right, then that will be the product. Now there's also a problem if a parent doesn't recognize the teaching stage and they try to control a teenager like they did a four-year-old. That presents problems. When a parent tries to exercise that ultimate control and keep that child under wraps like you have to do a four- or five-year-old child, three-year-old child, when they're 15, 16, and 17, that causes problems because they've not moved from the disciplinarian stage to the trainer or the coach. And so you need to move and flow as the child grows in maturity. To fail to recognize the stages and move appropriately with them causes problems. To try to coach them before you've disciplined them is a problem. To try to continue with that high control when they're older will also present a problem. So let's move now to the first stage, and that is the controlling stage. Now, your key word to remember is obey. Ephesians 6.1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, notice, children, it says parents. 
Although the father is to be the chief disciplinarian, you are to obey and honor your mother as well as your father. Now, this is a command of God. He commands obedience of the child. Yet, who is responsible to see to it that a three-year-old child obeys? I mean, God commands the child, but who's responsible to see to it that that two- and three-year-old does obey? Obviously, the parents are responsible to see to it that they obey. And before you can go any further, parents, in your child training, you have got to establish their obedience to your word. Notice God says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And that word right is the root word for righteous. It is righteous. It is right for children to obey their parents. Why? Because God has established the parents as His delegated authority over those children. Therefore, to obey their parents is to obey God. When I talk to a 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 year old child who's just come to Christ and uh, talking to them about baptism, I will often say to them, do you know how you can find out what God's will for your life is? Do you know what God wants of you right now at this stage in your life? He wants you to obey mom and daddy. That's His command to you, to obey them. And you'll be in right standing and God will be pleased with you if you'll just obey mom and dad and do what they say. And so it is right because God has placed the authority in the parents' hands over those children. God has given you the responsibility to rule that child. That means your word is law. Your word is law in that child's life. The family is not a democracy. Now hear that. The family is not a democracy. God never says that you ought to take votes and decide what you're going to do. People used to jokingly come up to me before the twins were born when I was the only male in a house with five females and they jokingly say, well, I guess you get outvoted all the time. And I'd chuckle with them because I knew they were halfway joking. And then I'd say, well, no, because either we don't vote or my vote counts six. So there's no problem. And you know, God's plan is for the parents to have the authority in the home. Now you may well want to consider your children's desires and wishes on some decisions that you make, but you must always retain the veto vote. You don't just let them decide when they want to go to bed as a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. You don't let them decide what they want to eat and what they want to look at on TV. Now, we have family conferences where we come and talk about issues and we get input from them, but we don't go vote where everybody has an equal vote. Because God never intended for that to be the way a family is managed. He intends for the, fa- for the parents to be the authority in the home and they have the final veto. Even when your kids get to be teenagers and you give them a great deal of responsibility in the decisions that they make, you must still always retain the veto vote. And you can always say, no, I really don't think that's what we need to do in this situation. Because they are your responsibility until they become adults. So God never intended for the family to be a democracy. They must learn obedience because if they do not obey you, then you can never move any further in the child training process. You may be thinking, but, uh, but preacher, that's a lot easier said than done. I mean, I've got a little kid, two years old, and they don't want to do a thing I say. 
I mean, my kids seem to want to do just the opposite of what I say. It seems if I want him to put on these shoes, he wants to put on the other ones. If I want him to go outside, he wants to stay in. If I want him to come in, then he wants to stay out. If I want him to eat this, he wants to eat that. It just seems like all the time we're clashing about what's going on. And let me tell you, expect it. Expect it. That's normal and it's going to happen. Because that child has what we call a sin nature. Indwelling sin. You see, that's the problem. If every child was born without sin, with a completely complacent will, and all you had to do was suggest they do something, and they would just gladly, delightfully do it, there'd be no problem. But they're born rebels. They are born rebels. They come into this world with a rebellious nature. They have no controls. They want to do what they want to do. They want their way. They are selfish and they do not want to be told what to do. And if left to themselves, they will become self-centered rebels. Yes, there's going to be conflict. And they will rebel against your will. You say, well, how do I get my children to obey then? I mean, I tell them to do one thing and they don't want to do it and they argue with me and they fuss with me. And how do I get them to obey? What do I do about that rebellion? Well, God's only given one remedy for rebellion in a child. You know, only one. See, He made it simple. Again, He didn't give three. You had to choose one. Then you'd be saying, well, now, what's the best one for this situation? Is it one, two, or three? And you'd, by the time you figured out which one you thought was best, the situation would have passed and be too late. So God said, I'm going to give you one. Only one remedy. You won't have a hard time remembering it, and you won't have to decide... If this is the right one, this is it. And we find it over in Proverbs 22. Turn to Proverbs 22. This is God's only remedy for rebellion in the heart of your child. Proverbs 22. Verse 15. says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. See the word foolishness? Now he doesn't, he's not talking about the way we use the term, in which we speak of just childishness and silliness. That's not what the word means in the Hebrew. The word foolishness means insolence. It's an idea of arrogance. It's an idea that I know more than you know. Now, can you believe it that a child thinks they know more than a parent knows? I have actually seen the day that one of my four-year-old boys said he knew the Bible better than I did. Now, is that the height of insolence and arrogance? Huh? I mean, he wanted to tell me he knew the Bible better than I did. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It is in there. They're born with it. As David said, in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. We are born with that foolishness in our hearts. And there's only one thing that will drive out that stubbornness, that insolence, that arrogance. And that is the rod of discipline. 
Now some people say, well, but you know, the shepherd's rod was used to, to comfort. It was never used to hit the sheep. And to that I would say, yes, but the reason they didn't hit the sheep is they didn't want to bruise the meat. But if a sheep continued to lead other sheep astray, they would break its leg sometimes so it couldn't do it. And the Scripture makes it clear from other passages that the rod is used as a switch. Look over in Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Now that makes it clear that he's not talking about a comfort rod here. He's talking about a switch. Now let me say quickly and from the outset, I am totally against child abuse in every form. Physical, emotional, sexual, whatever. And God is against it as well. And he's not talking about child abuse. In fact, I think that's clear because he says, though you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You know, and what God is saying, I believe, is that the size of the rod must be determined by the size of the child. You wouldn't take a, a, a bamboo cane and work on a four-year-old with it. You get a little switch. And you can just make them dance. Just that little switch, that on the leg. It's amazing what that accomplishes. And that's not going to physically harm anybody. Right? And so he's not talking about abusing our children. So I'm against that and, and cast that notion from your mind totally. But the size of the child determines the size of the switch, the branch that's used. But you don't use a branch that's large enough to cause any injuries. It needs to have plenty of flex to it. You take a board that doesn't have any flex to it and you can cause some injuries with that. But a switch that has flex and the key is in the wrist. key is in the wrist. You get that thing moving and that thing gets to switching... That puts the sting on them, but it doesn't physically harm them. But it gets the notion of cross. And it's amazing how it drives out the rebellion. Now sometimes people say, oh, but spanking is not humane. Well, it's better than humane. It's divine. Because it is God's divine remedy. You see, a child gets in rebellion and you send them to their room, they just get madder. That's not going to drive it out. They may calm down and come out later, but it's still seething. But you know that switch? It's amazing. It's just God's plan. That little switch will just drive it out. Now let me just say that sometimes parents make a mistake when they switch their children in that they just switch them until they get mad. You know, just a few little switches, the kid's just mad at you. You need to get past the mad stage to the glad stage. They're glad you're stopping I remember my dad used to do this with me. Uh, he would use a belt, and after the first couple of times, I was just mad. But then when he got on into about six or seven, I was thinking, when is he going to quit? Man, I wish he'd quit. And then when he stopped, I wasn't mad. I was glad that he stopped. Now, sometimes a parent would just give a couple of switches, and the child just gets mad about it. I mean, all it's done is stung them, and they're mad. They haven't gotten past the mad to the glad. Now, I don't think you ought to spank them to the cry. Some kids don't cry. Some kids don't. That's, dude, that's not the point. The Bible never says spank them to the cry. The Bible says bring out that rebellion from their heart. And so you switch them, get them past the mad stage to the glad stage. And it depends on the kid how much that might take. But you can just sense it, I think, in your spirit as a parent that they've passed it. 
Now, always give them something to do after you spank them. Then you tell if you've brought their will under subjection or not. Like, go sit in the chair. Or, now go over here and go in your room. And if they resist it, you haven't spanked them enough. You haven't brought their will under submission if they resist that command. But go sit in that chair and they run to the chair, then you've brought their will under submission. But if they resist it, you've left them mad, you see. And I've done that before. I've left them mad. And I've told them to go do something and they resisted it. And so I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't spank you enough. Come back. And we did it again. Until they obeyed their command willingly and with the right attitude. Again, you will not, using the proper size switch, bring harm to them if you do it according to God's plan. Now secondly, it is an expression of love. Look in Proverbs 13. It's an expression of love. Some kids may be thinking, don't love me so much. Verse 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. This is a sign of love. It's not loving not to use the switch on your children, not to chasten them. It's a sign of love when you're willing to do so because, you know, as a parent, you don't like doing it. You don't like causing pain. And particularly, mother, if you're one of those tender-hearted people, it probably just kills you to do it. But it needs to be done. It's God's plan, and it really is an expression of love. Third, it must be consistent. Notice it says, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. It means to, needs to be consistent. Every time that child stands against you in rebellion, and that is he's bringing up his will to challenge your will, when you've told him to do something, he challenges that. He doesn't want to do that. Either passive rebellion, and that's a lot harder to see than the active rebellion. But if he actively rebels, no, I'm not going to do it. There's no question in your mind. God says the switch. If he passively rebels, well, how do they passively rebel? Well, they don't do it. They say, okay, but then they wait an hour before they do it. They do it at their timetable. That's not submission, that's rebellion. Or they sulk, or they have a bad attitude about it. That's passive rebellion. And God said the remedy for the passive as well as active rebellion is a switch. The goal, again, is quick obedience with the right attitude. They can obey, but if they are rebelling in their hearts, that's not God's best and that's not what God wants. He wants them to obey you with the right attitude. You tell them to do something, they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and they go do it immediately. That's the standard that we are striving for. That's God's standard. Discipline them diligently. Be consistent about it. And then fourthly, start early. Look in chapter 19 of Proverbs. Verse 18, start early. Proverbs 19, 18. And do a study of Proverbs. It has a great deal to say about raising children. Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death. Start teaching them the meaning of no, and stop early. When they get old enough to start crawling and reaching for things, they're old enough for you to say no when they reach for it and pop their hand like that. They're old enough. I mean, you can tell because it doesn't take long when they start pulling up. They'll look at you before they go to grab something they know they shouldn't grab. You know they know what's going on. And just know. They draw that hand back. 
That's teaching them at that early age what no means. Don't wait till they get five, six, ten years of age. Or you've almost waited too long. Start as soon as you're aware that they know what the word no means. That they can, can, and they learn quick. Again, by the time they're crawling and reaching, it's kind of what I go by. They know when you say no and pop them on the hand what that means. So start early. So the first stage is the controlling stage. All you have to remember, parents, main thing is obedience to your word. Quickly and with the right attitude. Give them the love and attention that they need. Spend time with them. Share your heart with them. And discipline them according to God's standard. And they will grow up to be well-mannered, well-behaved children. As we pray for them, as we... uh, Discipline them according to God's plan. Fathers, have you been fulfilling your responsibility in the home? When you get home from work, from then until the kids go to bed, you ought to be doing all the discipline in that home. Isn't it easy to just sit in front of that TV set and you hear them going, some kids fighting in the background, and you think, well, I hope she'll do something about that sooner or later. They can hope Mama hear it. Or you may even call her name. Honey, the kids need you to go see about them. You need to get up out of that easy chair and you need to go in there and you need to deal with it. She's been doing it all day. You need to relieve her of that responsibility when you get home. It's on your shoulders, Dad. Fulfill God's responsibility. Now, Father's Day is next Lord's Day and this is a two-part sermon, so I wanted to start today. But fathers, this is God's Word to us. Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Are you doing that? Mothers, pray for those men. Pray that they will resume that responsibility that God's placed on their shoulders. Encourage them to do so. Go to them with the discipline problems. Place it in their lap to make a decision. And then joyfully carry through and and see that that's carried through in the home. Uh, It just brings unity and it brings oneness in the family. Let's pray. Father, our children are the most precious things that we have. Yet it seems that we're most ill-equipped as young parents to, to do the parenting that we should do. But Father, we're ill-equipped because we've not sought Your Word and studied Your Word to know what You would have us to do. Forgive us for that. May we raise up a generation of children who know biblical discipline because we as parents have given them that type of discipline and that they will carry forth that discipline in the lives of their children and their children will carry it forth in the lives of their children for we know our parenting practices are modeled and carried on from generation to generation Father I thank you for all the parents that did discipline us in a biblical way and that we have that pattern to work from as parents now And for those of us that didn't have that pattern, I pray we would give that pattern to our children, that we would break the cycle. Biblical discipline would be the norm in the church of America. May it start in our homes. Father, convict our hearts as fathers that it's our responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps today you have realized that You're not the father or mother 
or a child that God's called you to be. And I want you to know, apart from Christ, you can never be that father, that mother, or that child. And Jesus Christ stands at your heart's door. And the Bible says, Jesus said, All those who come to me, I'll in no wise cast any out. In other words, if you'll come to Him, and you'll in submission say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I know I have sinned. I know I've got that sin nature the preacher talked about. And that I'm a rebel at heart. And I've been rebelling against you all my life. Doing what I wanted to do instead of what you wanted to do. And I know that has caused a division between me and you. And, and your judgment is upon me because of that. And what awaits me is eternal damnation. But I also realize that Jesus Christ died for me. He took my place and suffered the punishment I deserve at Calvary. And I do want Him to be my Savior. I do want my sins forgiven. And I want Him to be my Lord. I surrender my will to Him. And I want you to come into my life, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord, my Savior. If that's your heart's desire, as we sing this next song, would you just slip out, come down and take my hand, let me pray with you. Because you'll never be able to be the father, mother, or child that God wants you to be apart from Jesus Christ and His saving grace. We can't be these kind of parents in our own strength. It takes the grace of God. And His grace is there. It's available. Won't you call Him for it? Let's stand as we sing together.